One of the interesting differences between what Judaism tells us about the world and what most modern thinkers, modern scientists, the academy tells us about the world is that Judaism says historically monotheism preceded idolatry or preceded paganism. Adam, the first man, has a intimate relationship with the one God who creates him with his own hands, as it were. It's only later, among Adam's descendants, that idol worship creeps in as an error, as a mistake. That's what the Torah teaches us. History, archaeology, science... As far as I know, most opinions say, if not all opinions say, all major opinions, that monotheism is a sign of an advanced civilization. People naturally worship idols. That's their uh, earliest nature, to worship finite gods. And the one god is a sign of an advanced civilization. But the truth is that this isn't so difficult to reconcile. First of all, the Academy looks at texts of monotheism, at the Torah itself, ironically, and sees many gods. This is literally the case. You know, you have uh, things like the documentary hypothesis, you know, the system of multiple authors that the five books of Moses allegedly has. And one of the famous things distinguishing between the alleged different authors are the different names of God. Sometimes God is called by the tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, Havaya. Sometimes he's called uh, Elohim. And the theory goes that the, uh, the names that are more attached to plurality, like Elohim, which is in the plural form and denotes multiple powers, these are names that uh, came from paganism and originally... Uh, the God of Israel was some kind of pagan god, etc., etc., the whole story. Uh, the irony is that even in the works of pure monotheism, even in the works claiming the unity of God, the Academy sees multiple gods. But really, given Judaism itself, this fact should not surprise us. And to understand why, you really have to understand what idolatry means. The difference between Judaism and idolatry is not the question of whether God exists or the question of whether an idol exists. The idolater can believe there is one infinite God who created the universe and still worship idols. And the worshipper of the one God can still very much believe in the sun and the moon and the stars and any of the other many, many things that have been bowed down to and worshipped in history. If you think about it, Judaism believes in at least as many angels as Hinduism has gods. We too believe in a, an infinite host of heaven unbelievable proliferation of spiritual beings far beyond what is uh, superficially perceived in the world. And you may think, well, okay, we believe in many of these beings, but 
God creates all of them equally. In other words, God is infinitely above the angels and all of these spiritual entities, just as he is infinitely above the creations of our physical universe. But the truth is that Judaism goes even further and says that not only are there infinite spiritual entities, just like you may encounter in uh, Eastern idolatries, but these spiritual entities are very alike to the idols of those religions in a certain way, in that they are not merely another creation. There's not merely a trillion insects on earth and a trillion angels in the heavens. But these spiritual entities, these angels and the like, actually serve in the process of creation. They, in fact, serve in some sense as intermediaries between the Creator and the creation. Every single blade of grass has a spiritual entity through which its growth comes to it, which constitutes its inner life, its inner nature, its inner soul. So to recap, not only does Judaism believe in an infinite number of spiritual entities, but we believe that those entities constitute a chain of being, a sort of intermediary, the, the, the way in which the divine life force, the divine energy descends and is transformed into a, a finite expression that can become the soul of something physical. Sometimes these intermediaries are called a mazel. A mazel, ironically, means a constellation. Idol worship in the Torah is called avedas kechavim, the worship of the stars. And yet in Judaism, we say that the stars constitute the lowest and most physical form of this great spiritual chain of being that the arrangements of the stars in the sky reflect a higher spiritual reality, a kind of infinite divine structure between God and the physical universe. So just as the idolater need not deny God, the God-worshippers need not deny the existence of the idol. The entire debate is simply over whether the intermediaries have any power whether these intermediaries have the ability to accomplish anything if God does not wish it to be accomplished. Therefore, it's not surprising that when an academic studies the Torah, the academic sees in the Torah idols, that the academic sees different names of God and thinks those names belong to different entities. This shouldn't surprise us at all, because what is a name of God, if not a way of God's relation, if not something like this infinite spiritual structure, the chain of being, the intermediaries, so to speak, whereby the creation and the creator interact? There is a certain type of intellect which serves finite existence. These forms of intellect are called in Judaism chachmas chitzonius, which mean 
outside wisdom, superficial wisdom. This wisdom exists to understand the essences of finite things. For example, my intellect understands that a dog is a living creature, that it's a mammal, that it has a certain number of uh, legs, that it likes to uh, fetch sticks. And by understanding the way that the dog is and the properties that it has in distinction with an apple and in distinction with a cat, I understand what is the dog. This is the primary function of human intellect. It is to understand how things fit together, how the various properties of the dog cohere and inhere in the essence of the dog. And so too with everything else that exists, so too with the apple, and so too with the cat. And that's how I can distinguish these three things, by understanding their different properties. The apple is sweet, the dog is not sweet. The apple grows on trees. The dog does not grow on trees. Why is this type of intellect important? Because this type of intellect, this process of understanding finite beings by understanding the way their powers and properties fit together, this type of intellect can never break past the concept of an intermediary. The entire idea that a certain name of God or a certain angel can have properties and yet the properties that it has determine nothing, that essentially this being is merely a vessel for God and God is acting through these vessels, and that despite having natures and fixed natures and set essential natures, none of these things can accomplish anything. None of their natures have any ability to affect what God does in any way. This is contrary to the entire idea of human intellect. The entire purpose of human intellect is to say that sweetness can be conveyed by an apple, but sweetness is not conveyed by a dog. And of course, you could break it down further and say it's not the apple that's sweet, it's the sugars in the apple that are sweet. If I put sugars in the dog, the dog would be sweet. But this is of course just to push the question back further. The point is, can sugar and sweetness become separable? Can I see that the benefit of sweetness to my soul only comes from God? That God is determining at every moment that the sweetness I am experiencing and perceiving is the sweetness that I deserve, that I did not deserve bitterness at this moment, and that no matter how much I try and force God's hand by partaking of an apple, even when I don't deserve it, I can never access any more sweetness than exactly what God has decreed for me. The human intellect was not made to understand this concept. 
The human intellect cannot see beyond natures. It is a tool for perceiving natures. That's why God has given it to us. God wants us to perceive and ascertain the natures of things. The problem is that this tool is very easily misled into thinking that the intermediary is all that exists. If that's the only tool that you use, that is the conclusion that you will reach. The role of superficial wisdom is to unite the soul with the other essences it perceives in understanding. By knowing that the dog has four legs and that the apple is sweet and grows on a tree, I have taken a part of my soul, the part that can be expressed in these uh, intellectual connections, and I have locked that part of my soul into this web of being. This is what we call understanding. And the truth is that all connection between finite things comes through this process. I understand my place in the universe by understanding the essences of the people, things, ideas, etc. that are all around me. So if I tell this form of rationality, if I tell this form of intellect that there is one God, if it opens up the Torah and reads it, and the Torah tells it, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloikeinu, Hashem Echad, Hear Jew, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one, it gets hung up on the idea of Hashem Eloikeinu. There are two names of God. There are two natures. And thus, at some level, there can only be two gods. There can only be two powers, two natures at work here. In other words, when the human intellect reads about the one God, the fundamental, basic thing it is trying to determine is the way that it itself fits into the picture. By understanding the difference between Hashem and Eloikim, I can figure out where I stand relative to each of them. And how is this any different than those first idolaters who said that they have to say thank you to the intermediary, that they have to thank the Son because God appointed the Son and made the Son real? Similarly, if Hashem says that He has two different names, then there must be some way that those names are different. There must be some different way of relating to their natures. The idolatrous impulse is born of human understanding. It is not irrational. It is deeply and profoundly philosophical. 
And any divine unity that you place through the rational human intellect, the human intellect that is constantly trying to understand finite natures, idolatry will be yielded as the result. How then do people come to worship the idols if the idols are essentially functions of their own understanding? Why do people not say, I refuse to understand. I refuse to understand these various natures and to delve into them and to see the, the difference among them. People always have that choice. But the truth is that many people so desperately need to understand that they are willing to let things they understand control them rather than be free under something that they do not understand. They would rather live a life of having to manipulate their understandings than live a life under a God who is totally beyond them. Of course, there are certain archaeological finds which do support the Torah's understanding of monotheism preceding polytheism. And there are some opinions in that regard that the Torah's account may be accurate. If that's the kind of explanation you need for things to fit together.